We're bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Dion shares his message from Lead Like Jesus, Empower Others. The GOAT. It's a title that's being thrown around all over the place these days. The greatest of all time, the GOAT. And you know, especially during the Olympics, there's been this kind of talk, and, and it occurs to me that it used to be enough to just be an Olympic champion or a world champion, a gold medalist. It, it used to be enough even to be the greatest of our time. That's a pretty high honor. And and yet we've ratcheted up the expectations. We've set the stakes so much higher, haven't we? We've, we've now made it a discussion of who is not just the greatest of our time, but who is the greatest of all time. It sounds pretty amazing to be the greatest at anything, and yet I think there is a tension that comes with the title, not just with the title of GOAT, but the, ti- the, the reality of any of us who feel like we're pretty great at something. See, there's a conundrum, I'm calling it the goat conundrum, but it applies to all of us non-goats also. Uh, And here it is, the greater you are at something, the harder it is to watch someone else try to do what you can do. It's true, isn't it? I mean, the greater you are at something, you don't have to be the greatest of all time, but just the greater you are at something, just fill in the blank, whatever that thing might be in your life, I'm pretty great at that thing, the greater you are at something, isn't this true, the harder it is to watch someone else try to do what you can do. And here's what's interesting to me throughout this whole series, this series that we've been in called Lead Like Jesus, where we're looking at Jesus as the GOAT, period, the greatest of all time, certainly the greatest leader of all time. It's my deep conviction that that's true. We see Jesus, even though he's the GOAT, living differently, leading differently than we would expect. We don't see Jesus defending his title, we don't see Jesus protecting his turf, Instead, we see Jesus doing things that are very un-goat-like. Uh, today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. Uh, you can look along in your Bible or on your device. The words will be up here too. In Luke chapter 10, let me just tell you, Jesus has already established himself as someone who is truly great. He has shown the world that he has mastery over the weather, over the seas and the winds. Under his own power, he brought them under his control. He has miraculously fed 5,000 people. He has healed people of all different kinds of sicknesses and diseases. He has cast out all different kinds of demons. Jesus has shown that he is truly great. And then he does something that I think is pretty surprising for anyone who is truly great at anything. Look what he does. It says, after this, the Lord Jesus, he appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Uh, If you know the Bible, you're gonna hear or um, just kind of hear or notice or see a lot of one-liners in this section from Luke chapter 10, things that maybe sound familiar to you, like that last line. Uh, But I wanna talk for a minute about the 72. The 72. This group of people that Jesus sends out ahead of him into these towns and villages to do some important work that we're going to see in a minute, the 72, this is, a, this is an odd group of people. They're not really referred to anywhere else in all of the Bible. 
Here we have a group of nameless, unknown people called the 72. Now, now the 12, we might know something about. The 12 were Jesus's most trusted disciples. We know their names, we know a little bit about where they're from, we even follow some of them all the way through to their death or, or we know something about them through church history about where they ended up. We know a lot about the 12, the people that Jesus poured into most deeply. But the 72, again, this is a group of people we know almost nothing about other than right here, they are nameless, faceless, obscure people, and it's like Jesus, the greatest of all time, is reaching way down into the org chart to these ordinary guys, and he is calling them and sending them to do something that I just find unthinkable. Here's what he's sending them to do. He says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. (laughs) It's encouraging, isn't it? It's a pep talk from your leader. You're about to be devoured. Uh, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In other words, you're going to travel light. You're not going to over-prepare for this. God will provide for you. Um, But also, the mission is urgent. So don't take a lot of time on the road talking to people. You've got a job to do. It says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace, a person of peace, is there, your peace will rest on them. If they're not a person of peace, that greeting will return to you. If it's a place of peace, then stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So uh, it's okay for you to eat from their table and not feel bad about that. Impose on their hospitality, Jesus says, because you're doing important work, you're doing God's work, you deserve your wages. But also, don't move from house to house. Don't try to scout for the best deal, you know, look for the best cook in the town move from place to place, that wouldn't be good for you, your reputation, or the unity of the town. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever is offered to you. A pretty bold claim because some of these are kind of outlying towns um, and they're gonna eat food that is not kosher. Yet Jesus says, hey, just don't offend them, eat whatever's put before you. And then he says this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So just go out, you random people, We don't even know their names. Just go out and heal the sick. No problem, right? You you all today, you can all do that too. Wherever you are, just go out today and just heal some sick people in the name of Jesus. Go to it, amen. Pretty big job, right? I mean, a lot of questions in my mind about how do you do you do that? Uh, And you're gonna tell them the kingdom of God has come near because the king has not yet come. Remember, they're going ahead of Jesus. He will follow them eventually. Uh, But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, your greeting of peace doesn't rest there, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has still come near. And then he goes into this this thing and he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon. So I, I know there are a lot of places and names that we don't know anything about. Here's the point. As they go to these different villages, Jesus is calling to mind some kind of known wicked places that everyone would be like, oh yeah, that, those are bad people. That's a bad place. And he's saying, hey, just keep in mind that if the miracles these people are going to see, if those had been performed in those places, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon, this, this wicked, these wicked towns, at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. 
Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. You see, what Jesus is telling them is, even though you're going to go out and do these amazing, miraculous things, not everyone is going to accept you. And uh, you're going to do so many amazing things that really the people are going to be without excuse. They should know that God is doing something in their midst, and yet because of the hardness of their hearts, they're going to reject it. Uh, You know, we have these moments sometimes in life where we think, God, if you just did more miracles, if you just healed a few more people, if you just did a few more massive weather, you know, saved us from some weather emergencies, if, if you just did that stuff, God, then so many more people would believe in you. And yet, here's what we see. Jesus is saying, you are going to do amazing things that will remove any excuse people have not to believe. And yet, they are still not going to believe. They're going to be without excuse. Now, I want to set that aside. Uh, but I want to talk about this crazy thing that Jesus does, sending out the 72. I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus sends out 72 random unknown people, we don't even know their names, to go ahead of him as his front runners into these towns and villages to do the work of the kingdom of God. He sends these random unknown people, nameless people, out to be his opening act. And I, and I hear that and I think, Jesus, why risk it? Right? I mean, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And we know that how much that matters. And so I think, Jesus, why risk it? You are the goat, Jesus. No one compares to you. No one can do it like you do. Especially, I mean, send the 12, fine. And he did that another time. But, but this random group of 72, why risk it, Jesus? There's no way they're going to be anywhere close to what you can be. And come on, you get it, don't you? I mean, whatever the great thing is that you can do, whatever you are great at or pretty good at, you know how hard it is to watch someone else try to do what you can do. You've lived through that conundrum. So I think, Jesus, what are you doing here? Uh, Monday mornings here at Pathfinder are mornings where our staff gathers, our ministry staff, and we spend our first time together in celebration, and then we have some time in staff development. We have someone present a personal or professional growth topic. And, and this last Monday, Lisa Schmidt, who is the director of Pathfinder Kids here, has been on staff a number of years, longer than I will reveal. Um, she's been here for a long time, does a great job. Uh, Lisa is one of the, the ministry leaders who does more with volunteer development than anyone else. And so she was presenting to our staff on some of the best practices around volunteer development. And uh, she, it was an awesome discussion. I, I learned so much. In fact, one of the things that I learned is in the discussion that we were having around the topic, someone said, hey, you know what? I once heard that if, if there's someone around you who can do what you do about 70% as well as you can, then you should let them do it. I'll say that again. If there's someone around you who can do what you can do about 70% as well as you can, then you should let them do it. I'd never heard that before. Made sense, but I'd never heard that before. I looked it up later. It's called the 70% rule in delegation. It is an actual established thing. You can find someone who can do something that you do 70% as well as you can. You should let them do it. And I heard that and I thought, that's an interesting idea. And then my next thought, you know what my next thought was? 70%, that's a C minus. Anyone fans of C-minuses here? 
Some of you might be glad for C minuses. That's not my, that's not me. <laughs> a couple of you. Uh, I'm, that's not me. I'm not a fan of C minuses. Uh, and I thought about that. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a C minus only if I'm already doing it at a hundred percent. If I'm A plus, then it's a C minus. Uh, there are not a lot of things in life that I consider myself an A plus at. So, I mean, we could be talking about a failing grade here, people. See, on one hand, it sounds like great advice. The other hand, it sounds like absolute madness. And that's the thing, isn't it? That keeps us from empowering others. That's the thing that keeps us from delegating responsibility. Because who can stand to watch someone else do something that you can do pretty well? Who can stand watching them do what you do well to like a C minus level or less? And so what happens in life for us especially with the things that we're really good at, what happens is we fall into this trap where, where we think and we live and, and we say, oh, it looks like I'm the only one who, I'm the only one who can fold the laundry the right way. I'm the only one who can wash the pots and pans so that they are not just wet and greasy, but they're actually clean. You know what I'm talking, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea and you're the problem because just wet and greasy is your thing. Right? I'm the only one who can make the presentation. I'm the only one who can close the deal. I'm the only one who could preach that message or write that message series. And I want you to think about this. Certainly Jesus himself could have done a better job if he would have gone himself, not sending the 72 ahead of him, if he would have gone himself into those towns and villages. But he sends these 72 random, nameless, unknown disciples of his out anyway. Why? Why does he do it? He does it because he knew that was the only way that those disciples would ever grow. And he also knew that was the only way that his kingdom influence would grow. See, I I think too often for those of us who are Christians, and I know some of you are not Christians, you're just checking this thing out and it's important for you to hear this too. But for those of us who are Christians, I think too often as Christians, we, uh, we think that what Jesus came to do is only one thing, he came to die on a cross to forgive our sins. And that is not the only thing that Jesus came to do. See, the cross wasn't Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was inaugurating the kingdom of God, the very thing he was sending these 72 out to preach about. See, the kingdom of God was the goal. The cross was a means to an end. The cross opened up the way for people like us to enter the kingdom of God. And this is important for us to know that, that it's not just about forgiveness of sins. That's not the only thing Jesus is offering you today. But he's inviting you into a new way of living and existing this thing called the kingdom of God. Now, I also don't want you to get me wrong. It is wonderful to be forgiven, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but but I know I need forgiveness in my life every day. Anybody else? (laughs) Well, let me break it to you. You do too. Right? I need forgiveness every day, and so do you. See, if I'm not forgiven, here's what happens. If I'm not forgiven, I have to live my life loaded down under the weight of every bad decision I've ever made, every mistake I've ever made, all of my struggles, all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt. I have to live life carrying the weight of those things around with me everywhere I go. And yet, because Jesus came to earth and he gave his life 
on a cross in my place. You know what that means? It means that all of those things that would burden me, Jesus has taken those things. He's forgiven those things so I can live life lighter and freer without all of those burdens weighing me down as I live my life. I am so grateful that I am forgiven. And today I want you to know that you have this opportunity to be forgiven too. See, our world is an unforgiving place right now. Our world, our world wants to take the worst mistake you've ever made, the greatest failure of your life, the biggest struggle that you have, and, and our world wants to not only put it as a scarlet letter on your shirt, but our world wants to do something more sinister. Our world wants to take a branding iron, put it in the hot fire, and mark your forehead. Am I right? right? Our, our world wants to define you by your greatest mistake, your biggest sin, your greatest struggle, your worst failure, our world wants that to be your legacy for the rest of your life. And yet here's the great news, that as far as your Father in heaven is concerned, because of what Jesus has done for you, because Jesus gave his life on a cross in your place, because he died for the sins of the world, including your sins, the Father looks at your greatest mistake, your biggest failure, your greatest sin struggle, whatever that thing is, and the Father looks at that and he goes, you know what? That's old news. My son, he's already taken that away. He's lifted that from you. That's not yours anymore. You are free from that. And you know what that means? The Bible says this, whom the son sets free is free indeed. That means that if the father looks at you and says, you know what, that thing, that's old news. I forgave that. That means it doesn't matter anymore what the world says. It doesn't matter how people want to remind you of your sin or your failure or struggle and define you by that. If God doesn't see you that way, then who cares how the rest of the world sees you? You see, I am so grateful that even right now today, I get to come and I get to be forgiven. I get to be freed from those burdens that I carry. I get to live life lighter and freer, not being defined by my biggest mistakes. But I also want you to know that forgiveness is not where it stops. It's not where it stops. See, past forgiveness, Jesus is inviting you in the midst of this broken world that is messed up in so many ways, upside down in so many ways. He's inviting us into a whole new way of living and existing that will bring us life and wholeness, not just us life and wholeness, but wholeness and life to people around us. That is the thing called the kingdom of God. And even if you don't understand what it is yet, that's okay. I just want you to know there is something more than forgiveness. And here's the point. Here's the point, okay? Dying on the cross, that's solo work. Jesus did that and he's the only one who ever needs to do that. Dying on the cross, that is solo work. But launching a movement the kingdom of God for all of us to enter into, that is bigger than one person. Even when that person is the goat, the greatest of all time. Which is why Jesus calls these 72 unknown, nameless, ordinary people and he sends them out to do this extraordinarily important work. Because he knew that was the only way that those followers of his would grow. And he also knew that was the best way to make the kingdom of God, its influence, grow. 
Now here's the thing for you. If you are living a life where you don't care anything about the growth of people around you, if you don't feel responsible for the growth of the people entrusted to you, whether they're your kids or your team or, or, or your family or, or just the people who live life around you, if you feel completely off the hook, like I don't, I don't care about their growth, that's not my responsibility. Or if you don't care anything about the growth of the things that matter most to you in life, if you are content to go into the grave and have the things that you have poured your life into die with you, then you can feel free to be a solo act. Right? If you don't care about the growth of people or the growth of the thing that you're pouring your life into now, if you don't care about what it happens to you, what it happens, uh, what happens to it after you die, then you can be a solo act. But if you want to see the people around you grow, and if you want to see the things you care most about, the values, the work that you care most about grow, then you've got to learn to lead differently. Not protecting your turf, not defending your title. You've got to learn to lead like Jesus, which means learning how to empower people. And I'll tell you, I'm not great at this one. Something I'm growing and I'm learning about um, but there are some people in our midst who are better at this. Uh, today, I want to I introduce you to our Lead Like Jesus interview. We've been doing one of these each weeks, each of these weeks with someone in our congregation. Uh, and this is with um, a guy who just recently came onto our staff here at Pathfinder. He's a part of our church first. Um, this is an interview with Dr. Derek Scott. Take a look. This week, I'm here with Dr. Derek Scott. Derek, tell us where do you lead? Um, yeah, hi, my name is Derek Scott, and I am the principal of academic innovation at St. John's School. Yeah, you just joined us on staff um, really recently. I don't know if it's just been a, a couple of weeks. You're new to your role here. Um, what has it been, a month yet? Yeah, certainly almost a month. I began on July 7th, but I've been around right. education for a while. Um, this is my 25th year serving in education on some level. I've had the opportunity to serve as a teacher in a high school science classroom for several years. Um, I've worked as a professional developer in multiple districts, and I've spent some time adjuncting at Lindenwood University as well. Yeah. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Derek, is because I think with today's topic, we're talking about empowerment. Um, I think there are a few roles, and principal is one of those roles, where where yes, you have a job to do, but your success almost completely is determined by your ability to work through other people. You're, you're a step away from the actual action, the, the product that you're trying to deliver. So my question is, how have you seen empowering others as a benefit to your own leadership? And as a leader, so the more I can help my teachers grow, I realize that the stronger the school will be, the more that the school in and of itself will definitely grow. And, you know, I think that's one of my key roles is to support student or teachers in their growth, in their development, to help identify areas that they're really strong within, um, as well as areas that they definitely need to grow and then to challenge them to grow, but then also to challenge them to lead with those strength areas. So, so really analyzing and seeing what those strengths are and how um, those can play out in a school is very important to my job. Without finding that mix and being able to empower teachers, I really don't even think I can do my job with any type of success. Yeah, I love that. Their growth is the key to the growth of the thing that you're you're leading. I think a really big part of my role, you know, I discussed earlier, breaking down barriers or, or getting barriers out of teachers' way. 
so that they can go out and do their job is not just about teaching and training them, but it's about really being that front line for when challenges come in. And um, the word I always like to use is creating a safe space. When people feel safe, when we feel safe is when we can really blossom in all walks of life. One more question for you, Derek. How does your relationship with Jesus inspire you to be a better leader? How does it help you lead? Um, I take solace um, in the face of the challenges I, I see every single day, whether it be students, teachers, you know, parents, everybody has needs and those needs really need to be met in the most positive way and productive way as possible um, to benefit the learning community as a whole. Um, I don't feel like I can do that and really face those things. And sometimes the, the anxiety that come with them, um, with just having so many things to get done, to accomplish and have so many people pulling you different ways, um, it, it's something to embrace with the job, but I don't think it's possible to embrace it um, with a clear mind and, a, and peace of mind without Jesus as my rock. Um, kind of on a, a personal note, you know, Jesus in and of himself, I, he was the greatest leader that's ever been on the face of the earth. And when you really start to look at some of the things he does, I, I desire to emulate that. And, you know, I, I know I'll never attain that perfection, um, but it doesn't mean I don't strive for it. You know, uh, Jesus always stayed calm in the face of all these challenges and struggles he faced. He himself knew how to empower others. He knew it was important to get his word out to humanity, but that he is one individual in human form, it was not possible for him to do that himself. So he empowered disciples, he empowered people along the way. And I, I take some modeling from that. And like I said, I just try and emulate and live up to that in hopes of someday I come even close. But I think if I just strive for that every day, um, I can find success in my job and serving the people that um, need me to serve them. Did I see Derek here? He's back there. Oh yeah, he's back there in the back row. Thank you, Derek. A lot of wisdom from you. Thank you for leading here and also sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, there's a lot that I love that he said. I, I especially love that part about safety, about safety. Uh, that really leads us to the lead like Jesus axiom for this week. Um, there's cards in the seat rack ahead of you. Make sure you write this down, take a picture of it, screenshot something. Leading like Jesus means you create clear expectations and then you create safety for people to try and fail without judgment. So think about Jesus in the 72, this is what he's doing. Leading like Jesus means you create clear expectations and then you create safety for people to try and fail without judgment. Now as I think about this, it really is about safety in both, uh, both counts here, both sections. Creating clear expectations for people, that provides people a sense of safety. And you all know the opposite. You know when you've had a teacher, you've had a boss, you've had a parent, you've had a spouse who has expectations, but they are not clear with those expectations. You know how dangerous that is, how unsteady and unsafe you feel in those moments. It is literally like walking through a, 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 a room with a blindfold on and bare feet, a room that is strewn with little tiny Legos. You've had young kids at home, you know what this feels like, right? Uh, that, that's what it's like to live life with someone who has expectations and yet is not clear with those expectations. It feels horribly unsafe. Vulnerability researcher and writer Brene Brown, she says, clear is kind. I love that, clear is kind. 
And so being unclear about your expectations, man, that's, that's mean. That is unkind. And so when you lead like Jesus, you'll create clear expectations for people. And we see Jesus doing that for, for these 72. Here's what I want you to do. Go into these towns, stay in one house, eat what they put before you. When they don't like your message, here's what you should do. Here's what you should say. He creates clear expectations for them about how they are to behave, what they are to do when they're out doing this brand new work for them. But safety doesn't stop with clear expectations. Safety goes on and says, you know what? Chances are, at best, you might be about 70% as good at doing this thing as, as I am doing, as I am at doing it, and yet I'm going to create a place of safety for you where you can go out there and you can try and you can fail, and you can do that without judgment, without fear of reprisal, without feeling shame about that, without fear of losing the relationship. You can fail and it's going to be okay. It's not going to end our relationship. Now, uh, as I think about this axiom in my life, there's lots of different ways that I struggle to apply it, because as I told you, delegation, empowering others, this is not something I am great at. Uh, and so today I thought I'd just kind of show you one of the places in my life where I wrestle with this, and it's not here as a pastor, I mean, I do it here too, uh, it's not just as a leader, uh, one of the places where I do this most is when it comes to my lawn. Yes, this is my house. It's not my house, um, but this lawn looked way better than the lawn at my house. I mean, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Um, my lawn, for a couple of years now, I have been raising up my youngest, my son Corbin, he's 12. I've been preparing him to take over the lawn mowing responsibility in our house. And I'll say this before I, I tell you the rest of, of this, that Corbin has now taken that responsibility on and he's doing a phenomenal job. He's, he's done this really, really well. Um, but it took a while for us to get there. And then even after he was almost there, getting to the place of being able to own this, I almost wrecked it all. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, you see, I am good when it comes to the axiom today. I am good with the expectations part. Anybody else? I got lots of expectations. And you know what else I'm good at? I'm good at communicating my expectations. I am clear, I've got high expectations, and everybody around me knows exactly what they are. Sometimes to their initial discomfort, but I believe that clear is kind. So if I'm gonna bother having the expectations, I might as well share them. So uh, as I was training Corbin up for this job, I created all the, ex or I communicated all the expectations I had. Uh, first, I communicated my expectations for how he would operate the mower safely. He's, this is a dangerous piece of machinery, so you don't put your hand under it, you don't mow around someone else, so a rock spews out and hits him, right? I talked about that. Um, I, I showed him where the property line was, and then I communicated my expectation for how this thing should be done, that you should overlap your rows slightly to make sure you didn't leave little strips of grass in between. I communicated my expectation about when the job was done. The job is not done when you mow the last little strip of grass. The job is done when everything is trimmed and everything is blown back from the driveway and the patio into the lawn. You, know, you get the blower and you blow all that stuff off. Then the job is done. I even communicated my expectation about who would own this responsibility. And, and I said, hey, Corbin, this is going to be your responsibility, to, but just pay attention to the lawn. And when it looks like it's getting kind of long, you need to notice that. I don't want to be the one to tell you. And you need to check the weather report to figure out, okay, you know, when am I going to have time to mow and how is this going to work out? Those, those were all of my expectations. I am great at communicating expectations. 
And so I did all of that. Uh, you know, we did the thing where he watched me mow and then we did one together and then it came his first time to mow all on his own. And sure enough, as he's out there, and I mean, this was like a year or so ago, and he's a lot shorter then, you know, trying to see over the mower. Um, as he's out there doing his thing, I'm watching him, and sure enough, he is doing a C-minus job. And I'm watching that happen, and there's something that is welling up inside of me, this, this panic, this anxiety as I watch him doing a C-minus job, and, and the panic, the anxiety is, is basically this issue Oh no, the neighbors are going to hate us if our lawn looks like this from here on out. Some of you know, right? And so um, I, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to control myself and I just can't do it anymore. So, you know, I, I run out into the yard where he is and, and we're having a conversation over the lawnmower running. I was not yelling at him. I just had to speak at a very loud volume because the mower was running. And, uh, and so I'm telling him how to do it the right way. He's not doing it the right way. And he's getting frustrated and then he tries to do it my way and I'm watching him do it again and, and still not quite getting it. And, and, that, and that big, you know, in red ink, C minus is like in my mind that all the neighbors are gonna be like, oh, what's going on with that house? There goes the neighborhood. And, and, and finally I, I go out in the lawn again and I just say, you know what? Forget it, I got this, go inside. And I watched this look of both um, sadness and anger come onto Corbin's face. And then I just watched as his face fell and his shoulder slump and he turned away and he shuffled off into the house. And I mean, that sight alone should have been enough to motivate me to compassion, but it didn't. Because I don't like C minuses. Now, now notice what it is that, uh, that I did there. I, I provided all the expectations. I was clear on the expectations, but I fell short on the second part. I provided no safety for this kid to actually try his best and fail or maybe not succeed as much as I wanted him to and to learn and to grow and this whole cycle of growth that you need to have safety first in order to even to even grow. Uh, Worse, I made him believe that failing at the job would be failing me. That not doing a good job mowing the lawn would somehow be a sin against our relationship where his standing with me. See, I hate it, but empowering others is so difficult for me. And and so what I'm learning to do in that moment when, you know, the C minus is flashing in front of my eyes and I'm panicking and, and before I just run out and grab the mower and say, forget it, I got this, go inside. I'm learning to ask myself some questions. And maybe these are helpful to you. I ask myself this question a lot. Do I want to do it or do I want it done? Right, is this just something that I want done and I want it done pretty well or do I want to be the one to do it? I ask myself, okay, am I willing to invest a little in order to multiply myself, or do I want to live a life where, where anything I want done, I have to do? Would it be nice to invest a little in someone else so that I can multiply and maybe I can do more, the things I care about can get done in a bigger way? Uh, do I want to see the people around me grow? I'll tell you, this is a big one when it comes to my kids and my perfectionism and how I inflict that on my kids. I, I have to remember that I don't want them to be perfect. I want them to be growers and I want to see them grow. And someday I want Corbin to be able to know how to mow his own lawn. Is, is it worth it to me to endure a little bit of pain so that he can grow? Uh, and then this one, is 70% good enough at first? And it's always at first, but there may be some things where 70% 
is not good enough, not at first. I mean, if you're going for heart surgery, you want better than 70% from that surgeon, right? And so there may be a few things in your life that you're like, you know what, no, that's 70% is not good enough. Um, for our lawn, it doesn't look that great anyway. I just try to make it not be embarrassing. So, you know, 70% good enough at first? Of course it is. And when I can ask myself those questions, it, it puts me in a different mindset which then helps me have a different approach. Instead of running out and grabbing the mower and saying, I got this, forget it, go inside. Um, here's what I try to do now. And again, I'm still terrible at this, but I'm trying. Uh, I'll say now instead, hey, I see you struggling. How can I help? Or I recommunicate my expectation. It is important to me that we don't leave strips of grass in between all of these rows. Is that something you think you can do? Do you believe in yourself or am I asking too much of you? And, and if so, here's what you need to know. I want you to be successful. This is not just about me. I want you to succeed. What else do you need from me? Now, obviously, I did none of those things. I already told you. I did none of those things with Corbin. I handled it in the worst possible way. So later on, I had to go into the house after I was all done, and I had to do some repair of that relationship. I had to apologize to him. I had to let him know that it was okay that it was his first time. I knew he would get better and, and whatever he could do, it would be okay for me. And, and then you know what I had to do? I had to stop watching him mow the lawn. I just had to quit watching. And then when it was all done, he'd let me know it was done and, and I'd go out and look at it and I would find 10 things to praise him for. And one thing to say, hey, you know what? Maybe next time you get a little closer to that landscaping wall, it'll make it easier later on. It'll look better. And when I stopped watching, and, and maybe this is why Jesus sent those 72 on ahead, he didn't want to watch the mess, right? He's just like, you guys figure it out. I don't want to have to see it. When I stopped watching, here's what I discovered. Corbin, he figured it out. He does a great job now. In fact, one time this summer, it was VBS week, he was volunteering here all week, he was on swim team, so he had almost no time during that week, and it was about to rain, and I was like, you know what, I just need to mow the lawn, and so I mowed the lawn, and he came home later, and he's like, Dad, did you mow the lawn? And I was like, yeah, I, I mowed the lawn, I you know, knew you were busy, and I wanted to help you out, and he's like, all right, yeah, I mean, it looks pretty good. <laughs> and he was right, I think he does a better job now. Do you see, leading like Jesus, it, it means you create clear expectations because that's safe for people. Clarity is kind, and then it means you also provide safety so that they can start at a C minus and then they can grow from there. Uh, and that's what we'll see in Jesus. I wanna show you the conclusion of the story of the 72. We saw the setup, now I want you to see what happens. It's the very next verse. He sends them, we don't know what happens, they come back and they give the report. The 72 returned with joy. They're so excited. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, yeah, of course. Because, you know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's judged. He's condemned. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I just got to take a quick moment here. You know, as we talk about empowering others, as, as we talk about our journey and, and trying to grow and how safety helps us grow, here's what I want you to remember. These disciples, they come back and they're so excited that they were able to do meaningful work for Jesus. They're, they're elated. Jesus, we did well. Are you proud of us? In a moment, we'll see that Jesus is proud. He's happy. He celebrates with them, but he reminds them of something. And I want to remind you of this too. When it comes to your relationship with God, this is not about your performance. 
Jesus says, hey, you did great things and that's awesome, but if you're gonna rejoice in something, rejoice not that you did a great job, that it was A plus work, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that apart from your performance, God already has a place for you in eternity through Jesus if you've received him as your savior. And nothing you do can affect that place. It is your rightful place. And that's the thing. This is the reality, knowing that you are safe in the family of God because of Jesus. That will give you the safety you need to keep growing, to take hold of more of what God has for you. Rejoice not that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, And then Jesus closes with these words, and I think these are great words for us to use as we close out not just this message, but this series. At that time, Jesus, full of joy himself through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you've revealed them to little children. I love this. Jesus says, you know what? There are, there are great, so-called great leaders in the world and they have power and influence and success and wealth. And yet so often the way that they lead, the way they live, they leave people broken all around them. And Jesus says, I praise you, Father, that this wisdom, this important life-changing wisdom is not revealed to the the so-called greatest of all time, the goats of the world, but you've revealed them to, to little children, immature people, unknown, nameless disciples, the 72, people like us even. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. And then he goes on and he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and he said this privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many really important people, prophets and kings, they wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, in the end, when you lead like Jesus, that includes when you empower others and you help them grow and the kingdom grows with it. But in all of these weeks, when you lead like Jesus, do you see what happens? The people around you, they find joy. Jesus himself finds joy. And we and everyone around us finds blessing. See, that is what is at stake. That is the reward of learning to lead like Jesus. So as we go out into our lives, let's do it. We pray, God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for um, reassuring us today that our standing with you is not based on our performance. That no matter what we do that's great in your name, whatever we do that is, uh, is heavy and weighty and burdensome and shame-filled and sinful, we can rejoice today because our names are written in heaven. You've prepared a place for us. That place is secure. Our relationship with you is secure. So Lord, because of that, don't make us apathetic, but instead give us the courage to to go out and to try to live the lives that you call us to do, to go out and to try to be the influencers that you call us to be, to go out and try to lead like Jesus, knowing how desperately our world needs it. But Lord, more important, I pray that you'd send us from this place today um, with a deep joy in our spirit, an attitude of worship, cause it to well up in us even right now as I pray 
that no matter how well we do, that our names are written in heaven, that we are forever yours. And Lord, out of that, help us sing even this next song with hearts of gratitude and love. May the joy overflow as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfindersdl.org.